You probably heard the story that happened over the weekend. Um, it looked like there might be something of a coup underway in Russia. Nobody was really sure how it was going to play out. Um, if Jenny Pergozin, the leader of the Wagner Group, the mercenary fighting force that had teamed up with Russia in Ukraine, um, suddenly reversed course, pulled out of Ukraine, took over Rostov-on-Don, which is a Russian city, and then announced plans to move up to Moscow. And it looked like, okay, now do we have an armed insurrection? What's going on now? Um, and the situation was then suddenly reversed again, because less than 24 hours after that, they announced that they wouldn't be advancing to Moscow. They were turning around, and he was heading off to Belarus. So what happened? Who knows? Bigger question, too, is what is it going to mean going forward, not only for Putin and for Russia, but for the conflict in Ukraine? A whole lot of questions here, and we're going to try and get some help answering some of them from Oral Brown, who's a professor of international relations and political science at the University of Toronto and the Center Associate for Russia, Russian and Eurasian Studies at Harvard University. Um, Oral, thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate your time. Thank you. So, first of all, let's just get your opinion on, on, on what happened and what developed and ended so quickly. I mean, what were you thinking as you watched this unfold this weekend? This was uh, Prigozhin, who for a while, this is the head of the Wagner Group, had been very highly critical of the leadership of the Russian military, who seemed to have had his frustrations boil over and now came out and made some statements that are very important publicly that this war was not justified, that Vladimir Putin had been sold the bill of goods, that the people who talked him into this war misled him, that this was for profiteering, that the war was badly conducted. So he undermined the entire premise that Vladimir Putin had for this conflict, that this was a legitimate action to safeguard the security of Russia. So it was a very frontal challenge. Now, Prigozhin had got away with uh, being vocal and critical before, but now it was much more than that. It was basically an insurrection. And so the question was, what would Putin do? Because this is not a system like others. Um, I wrote this article from the Global Mail uh, that's coming out now, where I argued that if we just look at uh, Machiavelli or Clausewitz or uh, social science decision-making theory, we don't really understand how the Russian system operates. We are better off looking at The Sopranos or at the Godfather movies or the novel because it operates far more as an organized crime syndicate. And in that kind of situation, the head of that organization not only makes the ultimate decisions but must seem to be invulnerable. And anyone who challenges that leader has to be crushed. That is not what happened here. Uh, there was a compromise agreement. We have Vladimir Putin going on television for a very brief uh, speech, five minutes, unusual for him. And he declared that this is treason, that this was a betrayal, this was a stab in the back. And seven hours later, we see that there's a compromise agreement where the Wagner troops are not punished and where Prigozhin supposedly will be allowed to go safely into exile to Belarus. So 
so what do we make of that? Because you're absolutely right. I mean, if you're Vladimir Putin, you're the authoritarian, you're the strong man. This is a totally contradictory to everything he has tried to portray himself as. It is a major blow to that image of the strong man. Um, what happened? How can he realistically be expected to just say, okay, no harm, no foul, go off to Belarus and we'll leave it there? I mean, hasn't he taken a, I don't know if it's a fatal blow, but certainly a, a damaging blow to his, his image? I think he has. They will try to rationalize it away. Both uh, the government, uh, the spokesman for the government, Dmitry Peskov, and Prigozhin said that they came to this compromise solution because they wanted to avoid bloodshed. And Prigozhin said, well, you know, I didn't really want to overthrow the government. Uh, I just had a protest. Well, this is not how protests work. You don't take over uh, the sudden headquarters of the Russian military, bring your tanks in, you um, have conflict uh, uh, with uh, uh, very units in the armed forces. Uh, earlier, Prigozhin claimed that uh, his units were attacked by the Russian military and that they had shot down a number of uh, Russian helicopters, uh, some of which had been confirmed. So um, each side is trying to paper this over, but it's very difficult for Putin to do this. But we must remember that he controls the media. He controls uh, Parliament. He has had the security services stick with him, as well as the military by and large. And he also has the National Guard, whose primary job is to help keep him in power. So I would not count him out, but he is wounded. How badly he is wounded and what happens over the longer term will depend uh, a good deal on what happens on the ground in Ukraine. If Ukraine keeps winning, if Russia loses more territory, I think uh, that that will combine with all the other elements, including this puncturing of the aura of invincibility that is so essential to leadership in our crime syndicate. And uh, it will also work together with sanctions, which are chipping away at the Russian economy, and uh, they don't have the immediate and devastating effect that Biden extraordinarily naively believed to have. You remember President Biden saying, just wait a couple of months and you will see. Putin doesn't know what's going to hit him. Well, that's not how sanctions work. Uh, and consequently, we have to keep our eye on the overall strategy, and that is that Ukraine has to win on the ground. If Ukraine keeps winning on the ground, all these other elements are likely to come together. What do we think about the prospects of that, given what we saw on the weekend? Because the Wagner Group was really doing the heavy lifting in Ukraine, specifically around Bakhmut, those kind, that kind of conflict there. Um, from what we we were told, it was it was that mercenary group that was doing the majority of the fighting. What about their status? Into are they? I know some have been folded into the main Russian military. Others have. What do we know about Russia's fighting capability, given what we saw on the weekend? This would be damaging because uh, the Wagner's group's effectiveness was to fight as an independent unit. Let's not forget that uh, the original core of the Wagner group was made up of former Russian military officers and soldiers who came from elite units. They were highly paid and they were very well trained. Then they brought in a large number of convicts who were poorly trained. They were used as, as cannon fodder. But nevertheless, it was... Uh, the Wagner group that made the, uh, 
significant progress, uh, um, at least on a, at a technical level, uh, in Bakhmut. It wasn't the, the Russian army. As you rightly pointed out, some elements are to be folded into uh, the Russian army. And this is the last thing Prigozhin wanted because it was so critical of the army, army leadership. And we see that Shoigu was the, the Minister of Defense, uh, uh, who was one of the people who uh, designated as a prime enemy by Prigozhin, made an appearance uh, inspecting troops today. So that sort of sends a message that uh, Prigozhin lost, but it doesn't mean that the Russian military has, has won. Now, they still have a lot of assets, and we mustn't forget that Ukraine is facing a far more difficult task right now than back in the fall when it made uh, very significant gains. Uh, they had momentum, but we in the West, despite uh, endless pleas from Ukraine, who did not give them the armaments at that time, you will recall that they were pleading for tanks. And the American administration said, no, no, that's too provocative. You can't have tanks. Uh, they were pleading for longer-range uh, uh, missiles. Uh, uh, and the American administration said, no, no, you can't have that. That would be uh, way too dangerous. Uh, well, now they decided, yes, in fact, they can have them. And that, in fact, uh, the MiG-29s could be transferred from other countries, that F-16s could be sold or transferred to Ukraine. But this has taken many, many months, and the Ukrainians are paying a terrible price for this, because during those many months, the Russians have been able to build up extraordinarily formidable defenses, mining vast areas of the Ukrainian territory, building uh, layers of defense that go something like five layers deep. So uh, this timidity as contrasted to what would be normal caution by the West under a very feckless leadership, I must say, by the Biden administration, uh, has made the task that Ukraine is facing very difficult despite turmoil in the Russian military. And this is why if we look at the larger strategy, and the larger strategy is to help Ukraine regain its full sovereignty, regain those areas that were illegally annexed, then we have to focus on that. Uh, we can hope that this will lead to a crumbling of the Russian leadership. You can't count for sure on that. And therefore, the strategy should be to give Ukraine what they need to do the job. So it's an opportunity for the West to maybe tip the scales here. But from what we're seeing so far, European leaders and uh, the leader of uh, NATO saying, you know what, this this is largely an internal situation in Russia. It seems like they're taking a, a wait-and-see approach, at least publicly, Oral. I think that would be prudent. Uh, first, we do not want it to appear that this was some kind of Western plot. Right, yes. Uh, Prigozhin and Wagner have been Putin's own creation. So here's the irony that uh, someone that the Putin administration has been praising for many months now became this internal enemy. So we should not interfere in that. Uh, the second element is that there is not enough transparency, so we do not know exactly what is happening. In order for us to uh, talk more about it, to do something specifically about this issue, we would need vastly more information, which we do not have. And the third element is that we need to stay focused, and we mustn't be distracted by this. 
uh, and not have uh, a kind of decision where we say, well, Russia is weakened right now and we can let our guard down, that we can diminish the supply of armaments to Ukraine or the rebuilding of NATO's strength. This is the other element that is so crucial, that NATO had allowed its forces to run down to a dangerous level. When this war started, Germany had only about 150,000 people in its armed forces. A third of its air force couldn't fly. And now they are beginning to rearm. Uh, Finland has joined NATO. And Sweden desperately wants to get in. And it's being blocked by Turkey. We need to convince Turkey to allow Sweden to get into NATO because that is very important in strengthening the alliance. So there's so many things that we need to do. Uh, what has happened in Russia may ultimately prove to be a great benefit. It may even lead to the collapse of the Putin regime. But we cannot count on that. We cannot be certain. So we, therefore, need to concentrate on those policies where we do have control, and that is what we give Ukraine and how we strengthen ourselves. Oral, a great breakdown, as always. Thank you so much for joining us today. I do appreciate it.